0: We're turning now to our regular legal advice slot. We're joined, delighted to be joined in the studio by Sharon Carher from Carher & Co. Solicitors. Uh, Sharon, good morning.
1: Good morning, Peter. How are you?
0: Not too bad. Uh, so we're going to focus on cohabitation. Um, so for, I suppose from a legal standpoint, what is cohabitation?
1: Yeah, and it's interesting. We covered this very recently and the, gosh, the feedback and the requests that came from it just shows how people... I really want the security of understanding when they're in a non-marital relationship um, what exactly are their rights or entitlements or how do they protect each other because we're always hearing in Ireland, particularly with the referendum coming up, how important family is, marriage, we're always talking about that. but really cohabitation is, 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 is how relationships are progressing um, and they're growing. So that's why it's really important for people to understand that. So, so cohabitation will be seen in the eyes of the court as an intimate and committed relationship um, where people are living together for two or five years. Two years, the court would be a test if you have children and then five years if you don't have children. Why it's really important is that over the years we can see through our own census um the increase within the population of the number of households where people are, are are cohabiting between 94, 1994 and 2004 the number of cohabiting couples in Ireland tripled and um, that was a, a a survey done by NUIG um, in Galway and in the 2011 census they told us, Quite couples, the numbers went up by 6%. In 2016 it went up by 24.4%. So we can see an upward trajectory which is, well it's symptomatic of modern modern life and modern lifestyle. And then in the last census it's gone up on top of the 24.4 that it went up in the previous census. It's gone up 17% again. So that's why that covers a huge part of the population where it may be younger couples. Initially people are thinking that this is relevant to, But actually we all know people within our communities that of 10, 15, 20 years together. They have families and they just choose not to go down the, 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 the married route. That's why it's important for people to understand that it's not the same, uh, for example, as, you know, people use the phrase common law, husband or wife. There isn't such a thing. I don't know where we came up with the word, but there isn't such a thing. Or automatically assuming that the other person is your next of kin. There isn't such a thing and we and and we use it. But particularly when somebody's not a spouse, it's just important to know that and know what you can put in place um, or perhaps have redress if a relationship ends or if a partner dies and you're a dependent partner or they're at assets that you've been in a relationship for 10 15 20 years and there's assets by which you have shared but they're in the they're only in one name of the person perhaps who has broke has finished the relationship or again that somebody has died
0: and how would you ensure Sharon, that you do have some redress
1: well, I, I suppose the first thing for any cohabiting couple would one would be to assess what what assets are there, are they in the name of one person only? And this is easier for me to say that very often when I meet people, it's because the assets are in the name of one person, and it's the more vulnerable person or the person who feels more insecure that's asking for advice. And um, a cohabiting agreement can be put in place whereby not dissimilar to a prenuptial agreement, where people are talking out what money is coming into the house, how would it be shared, how would be divided up. But particularly in relation to thinking out if there was a breakup how might we do deal with this without having to go to court both parties can sign into the into the agreement um, and they can also opt out of the redress scheme in terms of agreeing not to go to court so again I hear people almost listening incredulously to this going, yes, of course, people will agree and it's uncomfortable to have those conversations and people won't. I agree with you. That's the reason we push it a lot because we're at the other end where relationships are over or somebody has died and people haven't thought about this in advance and the only option they're perhaps faced with is to issue proceedings to go to court to look for a court to make a decision in relation to a share of the assets of the deceased.
0: So presumably Sharon the best time to have this conversation would be early enough in the cohabiting situation or or is that what you would advise?
1: Yeah, I mean, it, it's less likely it's going to arise in the early part of a, of a relationship. You know, I really, I suppose anyone who would know me, I really try to be really real. This is more so when people have set up their cohabiting relationship and they've decided this is the, the, this is the way that they're living and this is working for them, is to perhaps then say, well, how is this going to evolve? The bigger things that arise is, for example, if all the assets are in one person's name and that person passes away. of the time, it's not the intention of that deceased person to leave the cohabiting partner without any assets. If that person dies without having a will, then the laws of intestacy decide that it will go to their next of kin by law. So if that person had children, from, from a previous relationship it would go to those children rather than the cohabiting partner even if the cohabiting partner had lived with that person for 10 or 15 years so there's practical reasons you would have those conversations in relation to putting a will in place deciding what your wishes were if one or other of you died but more particularly this is about the, the, the person who's the, where the assets are registered in their name if the assets aren't in joint names so very often you could have a cohabiting couple and they have bought a house that's in joint names they operate their bank accounts in joint names um, and in relation to a pension, they may have put provision in place in relation to directing where that would, would go on death if there's a lump sum um, payable. The most important thing would be to think out in advance as to what's to arise. Equally so, cohabiting couples, no more than married couples, relationships may not last. So in terms of planning out in advance, particularly if one person is more dependent on the other, what might happen if if if, if a relationship breaks up? Now. It stands to reason if one person is more dependent in the relationship than another there may be I suppose a power imbalance. So it may be a difficult conversation to have. That's what's really important for the dependent partner, for the person that is more insecure if something arises to begin to think about that and perhaps to go and take independent legal advice to understand the circumstances if certain things things arise.
0: And if there is a power imbalance Sharon, can those conversations in themselves lead to You know, maybe tensions or problems within the relationship that might not necessarily have been evident prior to that conversation. So I suppose it's a very sensitive area.
1: It's a very sensitive area and it's a bit like prenuptial agreements. People, you know, they're not in law in Ireland, but were people more proactive to have those conversations, we wouldn't have as much divorce cases uh, um, um, before the before the courts and so much acrimony. Mediation is really helpful. Go and get independent legal advice to talk about what the circumstances are that surround you and, and, and perhaps what... Y- y- in terms of having hand holding, sometimes I find a sounding board is very good because it gives a person a sense of security and confidence as to what to go back and talk to somebody about. What is important is that if a relationship breaks up um, and you are a dependent partner, you know, you have two years within which to take your claim. Now, it's less likely you're going to take very long if you are the dependent partner, but equally so if somebody dies. You only have six months from the issue of the grant of probate to take a claim for, for, for redress. So that's really important. There are timelines within which you have to act if something arises and you believe that the, that the act would give you some redress to assist with your own situation.
0: Are there tax implications, um, Sharon, in terms of Either being either cohabiting or being, you know, are there different implications if you're married or cohabiting?
1: Yeah, and that's really important is that the assumption can be sometimes the longer you live with somebody that the, the, the you know, that the, the revenue commissioners will, will acknowledge that and you get some bonus for it. You don't. Marriage is sacrosanct in Ireland in the way that the revenue commissioners you know allow the transfer of property between spouses um there's no inheritance tax um payable um and um, the stamp duty benefits lots of tax benefits to married couples that aren't available married couples and those in civil partnerships that aren't available to cohabiting to cohabiting uh, um couples so you're technically um a stranger in the eyes of of the law. So you'd be entitled to €16,250 and then you start paying 33% tax on top of that. Now there are, if, again if you think out in advance there's a way to plan if you think there's going to be an inheritance tax and very often couples may leave the assets in one person's name and then they do tax planning in relation to perhaps having a, a, a an insurance policy that at the, the death of, of, of the partner with the assets that there will be an insurance policy to pay um, towards the inheritance um, tax and equally so dwelling relief in terms of if you've lived in the house for three years before the person dies and you continue to live in it six years afterwards, then in relation to inheriting under will, the point would be that the, the revenue commissioners, if they see that you merit getting the tax relief, then you would get it tax free. But that all takes advance planning and thinking out ahead. The most important thing is for people just to know that the there, there is an importance in planning ahead. The other areas that, that that particularly now since the new capacity act came in last year is that people if they, if if somebody makes a will, then you are providing for your partner, but you do need to think equally so they're a stranger. So there's inherent tax implications to think about. Now we're living longer. So the idea that you're not automatically the person who would have a voice to speak for somebody, you should that both put enduring powers of attorney in place so that if anything happened and you were cognitively impaired, that one person can speak for the other at a time like that. And more importantly, if at end of life, the um, putting an agreement in place that somebody would speak for you if at end of life you can't speak for yourself. These are not automatic entitlements you would have by virtue of the number of years you've lived with somebody. So the law is now providing for people to make these documents so that somebody can be appointed to speak for you. Not necessarily, particularly if it's a cohabiting relationship, and perhaps you don't have the greatest relationship with the, if I call it in-laws, the the family of the other the other the other party.
0: And Sharon, just very finally. The area of cohabitation, is it an area that a lot more people are, have been getting in touch with the likes of yourself on over the last few years? I I
1: think the, the last time William spoke on it we got a number of calls with people just to ask in relation to inheritance in relation to contentious matters where perhaps they hadn't been provided for and I think the importance is that if you are in a cohabiting relationship take advice get independent legal advice understand where you're standing particularly if the assets are all in the name of one person if they're sizable assets you may be in a cohabiting relationship where somebody has a farm they have a business there's perhaps sizable wealth and for some reason it's structured in such a way that it's all in one name and that might be for tax purposes but either way it's important for the person who feels more dependent or perhaps a little bit insecure to understand where they are at that stage and what redress if if they're left in a situation um, where, where it's not working for them and they are the dependent That's
0: great, thanks indeed Sharon for coming in.
1: Thanks Peter